Welcome to the Trinity Church Aberdeen podcast, where you can listen to our most recent sermons. To find out more about who we are and what we believe, visit trinityaberdeen.org.uk. Let's hear God's word then from Acts chapter 21, verse 1. When we had parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to Kos, and then the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When our days there ended, we departed and went on our journey. And they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship, And they returned home. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemais, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. After these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem, and some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Nason of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God, and they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are here among the Jews of those who have believed. They are all zealous for the law. And they have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses. You tell them not to circumcise their children or to walk in their customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. 
But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. Then Paul took the men and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. Amen. Well, Acts 21 that we come to this morning is the beginning of a new part of the book of Acts. We are now from here until the end joining Paul on a journey. The apostle Paul is journeying to Rome, but he is stopping off on Jerusalem on the way. He is adamant he must stop in Jerusalem. This is a long journey. We are going to spend several weeks at sea with Paul. But here's the thing this morning, friends, the whole point of this journey, Paul knows that pain is waiting for him. Paul knows that pain is waiting for him. Pain is at the other end of this journey. Have you ever had a journey like that? What do you like with journeys where pain is waiting at the end? Some of you here this morning have walked the long road to hospital. Some of you have traveled that long journey up the A90 to being alone in student lockdown. Two students who were with us two weeks ago, this week, unable to be here, isolating in quarantine. It's tough, isn't it, at the end of a journey to be in pain and suffering. And here's what we need to know this morning as we look at this together today. Paul knows what kind of journey this is. Paul knows what's waiting for him. I want you just to look back at chapter 20, verse 22, where we were a couple of weeks ago. Chapter 20, verse 22. Listen to it if you don't have a Bible with you. Here's what Paul says. Now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there. I don't know the details of what will happen, except I know this. The Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment And afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. See, friends, if somehow for these next eight chapters, if somehow we were able to put, to have a big screen up behind my head, one day there'll be a screen up here. If we somehow we were able to put up Behind my head, Paul's boat on the oceans, high on the stormy seas, and to see Paul sailing across the Mediterranean, if we could visualize what it is we're about to look at together, what you would see is the shadow of a cross falling on the ocean. The shadow of a cross falling on Paul. Those words that I just read, Acts chapter 20, verses 22 to 23, who does Paul sound like? I know that in every city imprisonment and afflictions await me. He sounds like the Lord Jesus Christ himself. The Lord Jesus in Luke chapter 9, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected when he gets to Jerusalem, rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes. Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. Did you know these eight chapters that we're about to look at together, Luke, the author of Acts, builds these eight chapters 
to be the Apostle Paul's passion narrative, like the end of the Lord Jesus's life. Listen to this. Like Jesus, Paul is arrested by his own people. Like Jesus, he is arrested without cause and imprisoned. Like Jesus, Paul is unjustly accused and willfully misrepresented by false witnesses. Like Jesus, Paul is going to have his face slapped in court. Like Jesus, Paul is the victim of secret plots. Like Jesus, Paul will hear the terrible screams of a mob away with him, away with him. And like the Lord Jesus, Paul is subjected at the end of his life to a series of five different trials. Five different trials. Do you see what the point of this long journey is? You see what Luke is saying to us? Friends, over these weeks, don't get lost at sea here. Don't get lost in the details. Here's what Luke is saying. As to Jesus, so to Paul. As to the master, so to the disciple. As to the king, so to us, the servants. As to Jesus, so to you, so to me. Brothers and sisters, here's what Luke is giving us today. Jesus' journey must become our journey. There is no road to glory that does not pass through the cross for everyone who follows the Lord of the cross and the Lord of glory. There is no road to heaven that is not always through the valley of the shadow of death. And if you and I today don't think that is our road, if you don't know that in advance, that that is the road we will walk to get to heaven, if you don't know it in advance, you will get off that road when you discover it is your road. It's not what I signed up for, Lord. Suffering, hardship. Affliction. What kind of life are you living today? What kind of life do you want to lead? What kind of life do you expect to lead as a believer? Paul is giving us here the pattern of gospel ministry, which is the pattern of gospel living for you and me. And so I just want us to see two things together this morning. One thing from verses 1 to 15. And another thing from verses 16 to 26, hopefully nice and simple. Two things. Number one, we must never flinch. Number one, we must never flinch. That's verses 1 to 15. And then number two, verses 16 to 26, we must always flex. We must always flex. Two opposite principles, two complementary principles that come from putting the gospel first. Number one, we must never flinch. Paul shows us something so important here, doesn't he? He does not fear death. Look at chapter 21, verse 13. Paul answered, what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? One of the most beautiful things about these last couple of chapters is Paul's deep relationships with these people. Remember last week, men are holding on to him, weeping and embracing him. What are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die. 
Now, Paul will not, in fact, die in Jerusalem. He will die in Rome. But he knows what is waiting for him. And friends, here's the thing. While he does not fear it, many of his friends do. While he doesn't fear it, many of his closest friends fear it. Many other disciples of Jesus fear his death. Look at chapter 21, verse 4. Having sought out the disciples, we stayed there seven days, and through the Spirit they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. Don't do it, Paul. Look at verse 10. While we were staying for many days, it's one thing for friends to do it. What do you do when a minister says it, a cleric says it? A prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own feet and hands. Thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt. They will deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. seems a little bit strange to us, doesn't it? But it happens all the way through the Old Testament. Prophets act out their prophecy with word pictures. Ahijah tears Jeroboam's cloak into 12 pieces. Isaiah stripped and goes barefoot for three years to, to show people what will happen to them. So it's a, it's a word picture of what is coming Paul's way. And it is full of love and care for Paul. And more than this, did you catch the thing that we have to wrestle with here? Chapter 20, verse 23, notice, it is the Holy Spirit testifying to Paul that in every city afflictions will wait for me. The Holy Spirit tells Paul what to expect in Jerusalem. But look at chapter 21, verse 4. Through the Spirit, the same Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Verse 11, Agabus, thus says the Holy Spirit, this is what will happen to you in Jerusalem. Who is right here? Is the Holy Spirit leading Paul to Jerusalem or not? Well, here's the best sense to make of this. Here, here's, how, here's how John Stott says this. Here, here's how he puts it. There is a difference between the spirit predicting and the spirit prohibiting. There is a difference between the spirit predicting and the spirit prohibiting. The prediction that Paul would suffer came to his friends and it came to Agabus. They all knew it was coming. That prediction came by the spirit But the prohibition, the do not go to Jerusalem, that did not come from the Spirit. The prohibition came from the friends only. You will suffer, Paul. You will be bound. You will be handed over. It will be awful, says the Holy Spirit. Don't do it, Paul. We love you. Say only the friends. Friends, do you know what Paul shows us here? Do you know why he doesn't fear death? Because Paul knows the pattern of gospel ministry is suffering first, glory later. The cross first in this life. And then the crown. Jesus set his face like flint to go to Jerusalem. Paul does not flinch because he knows the pattern of Jesus' life must descend on his life. And that pattern, that mold is in the shape of a cross. We're going to listen to it in just a moment. 
after the sermon, the song that Katrina will sing for us. My Savior bids me walk with him and follow all his ways, all his ways. Here's what I think Luke is wanting us to see. These dear friends around Paul, these dear, well-meaning, genuine disciples, genuine believers in Jesus, Luke wants us to see we've met this before. These are people who are just like the first disciples around the Lord Jesus himself. When he says he has to go to Jerusalem to, to die, what do they do? Don't go, Lord. Peter says, never, not you, Lord, not you. What do other disciples say? You're going to Jerusalem to be king. Can we have a throne too, please? Can I sit on your left, one of us on your right? Do you see what Luke is saying? As Jesus' friends to him, so Paul's friends to him. Do not suffer, Paul. Failure of sight leads to failure of service. If you cannot see your king on a cross, you will see yourself on a throne. If you cannot see who Jesus really is, the Lord of suffering, then when he calls you to hear him, to walk his path, path, when he says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. When he says that, if you cannot see who he is, you will say, no thanks, Lord. Friends, people flinch all the time. People flinch all the time from suffering. We flinch all the time in the face of suffering and death. We believe that the path to life is the road of health and strength and success and constant flourishing, everything going well. You know, I've just been thinking these last 24 hours, what is, what is the most interesting, awful thing about the President of the United States being in hospital with COVID-19? What's the most interesting thing about it, the awful thing about it? It is that his team around him, is it not, have to keep sending out messages of strength and power to the world. He's still tweeting. He's still working. He's got this licked, they're saying. No problems. He'll be back in no time. And what is happening is the attempt to stage manage a brush with mortality. Donald Trump does not know what to do with suffering and death. That's for other people. Other people get this disease. Other people die from it. I'll be fine. Friends, we need to be praying today, whatever your politics, on whichever side of the pond you are, we need to pray, don't we, for our world leaders to be humbled. We pray, don't we, Lord, spare his life and bring him out the other side, a humble man, a converted man. When we refuse to accept death as part of our lot, as fallen human beings, when we try to be immortal, in fact, what happens is we make ourselves less and less and other people less and less human. If we think suffering and death is for other people, and is not part of our package of belonging to Jesus and being part of his family, if we think it's not for us, then we will twist our journey to Jesus in heaven into something grotesque. 
You will want now in this life all the things the Bible says you only get in the next life. No pain, no tears, no suffering, please. You know, I heard a pastor say a while ago that there is a particular damage that is done to churches when Christian leaders shrink from suffering. Think about that. A damage done to churches when Christian leaders shrink from suffering. I think it's true. When shepherds shrink from suffering, they teach their sheep that the Christian life isn't really about suffering. What do you think about these friends and what they're saying to Paul? Did you know that many people can see suffering coming? Many people predict suffering and because they see it coming, they try to prohibit it. Sometimes it's common. Sheep can see suffering coming and they try to keep shepherds from leading them to suffering. I've watched this happen many times as shepherds say to a congregation, there is a cliff ahead of us. There is danger in front of us. There are wolves out there and the sheep plead with the shepherds, don't unsettle us. Don't upset the status quo. Don't lead us in that direction. Don't put the cat among the pigeons. Let's keep our heads down and shepherds flinch. They shrink back and sheep in the end eventually suffer. Brothers and sisters today, can I urge us together as a church family, as we do gospel ministry together, as the pattern of gospel ministry shapes our church life, can I urge us together, we must not flinch from pain from the kind of pain that cuts deep. But because it cuts deep, fruit can grow. Life can come. Life for others. What? Why is Paul doing this heading to Jerusalem? He doesn't have a death wish. It's not that he thinks there's no point carrying on living. It's that there are people in Jerusalem who have not heard the gospel, have not yet met the Lord Jesus. Because of that, he's willing to introduce pain into his relationships. Remember, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, church planting. It's not something we've done yet as a church family, but it is something we might do one day. Wouldn't it be wonderful if this uh, building that we begin to occupy becomes a hub of new life spreading out across our city? For that to happen, friends, let me assure you, there will be pain The pain of loss, the pain of sending, the pain of giving, the cost. Paul is doing all of this because of the gospel, isn't it? He loves the lost more than he loves his own life. There it is, chapter 20, verse 24. I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus. Do you remember how Paul came to faith? Do you remember it? Persecuting Christ's people. And on the Damascus road, he meets Jesus who says, why are you persecuting me? And Paul thinks, I'm not, I'm not persecuting you. I'm persecuting them. Your people. Jesus is saying to him, no, Paul, what you do to them, you do to me. I am that bound to them, that close to them. So Paul knows he is in Christ. 
His identity is in Christ. That is why he's willing to suffer. It doesn't matter what you do to me. I am his, he says, and he is mine. Being in Christ, oh, it changes everything. Changes everything. Do your worst. I am in Christ. Lose 20, 30, 40 people from our church to a church plant. We are in Christ. Here we are with coronavirus. Wrecking ball through our world. We are exhausted. We are fed up with lockdown. We're fatigued. We're drowned in data. We're fearful. We're worried. We are, you are in Christ. In Christ. Friends, we must never flinch from sharing the gospel. Never flinch. Number two, we must always flex in sharing the gospel. We must always flex in sharing the gospel. What did you make of these strange verses, verses 16 to 26? When he actually gets to Jerusalem, James and the elders of the church put a little problem in front of Paul, verse 20. Paul, you you know about the revival that's happened here. Thousands of Jews have believed. It's wonderful. It's great. And all of those Jews are zealous for the law. But these same Jews, Paul, have heard that you yourself these days are not so zealous for the law. You're teaching all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn away from Moses, to stop circumcising their children. And so to show these Jews, Paul, that these are simply rumors about your behavior, to to show them that you're not in fact teaching these things, can we ask you please to do a little law keeping? Join these four men who are having their heads shaved. Purify yourself according to the law. Pay their expenses. And that way, Paul, you will be in good standing with thousands of law-keeping Jews in our city. It's kind of strange, isn't it, this language about purifying yourself, shaving your head and so on. I think coronavirus is helping us understand this, isn't it? You get the virus or you come into contact with someone who has the virus. What do you do? You need to purify yourself, quarantine yourself, keep away from other people. Unless you're a MSP, of course. But we get it, don't we? Purify yourself. And you see, for Paul here, he's been with all these Gentiles. He's he's going to the temple and the law said, if you've been with Gentiles before you come to the, the temple, purify yourself. So what should Paul do? What do you think? Should Paul say, look, no, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus now. I know that it's coming close to Jesus that makes me clean. Nothing else. I don't need to do this. What do you think of what he does in verse 26? Paul took the men and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple. See, friends, Paul knows that Jesus plus nothing else is essential for salvation. Not circumcision. You don't need purification rites. You don't need temple attendance. You don't need to shave your head. Nothing else is essential for salvation other than the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. But once you see that none of those things are essential for salvation, Paul is happy to abide by the consciences of those who do not yet understand that they are not saved by doing these things, but who still feel obligated to do them anyway. 
if this is your world, your culture, your background, your upbringing, Paul will not trample on your conscience. He'll go along with it with you. Paul's aim is to be all things to all people. Do you remember 1 Corinthians chapter 9? To the Jew, I became like a Jew to win the Jew. To the Jew, I became like a Jew. Why? To win the Jew. I think there's a fair bit of misunderstanding here. These are Jewish believers who haven't yet joined up all the dots about following Jesus. But Paul wants to help them. He wants to help them. And so this morning for us, friends, here is a very important truth for us to lodge deep in our hearts. Here's a truth that will make the gospel attractive to people around you. Your conscience is my business. Your conscience is my business. If you feel strongly about something, a gray area in the Christian life, no drinking alcohol, keeping Sunday special as the Sabbath day, which version of the Bible we should use, what you should wear on a Sunday. Your conscience in that area has to matter to me as your brother in Christ. Isn't that what Paul is showing us? He he doesn't trample all over it. He doesn't ignore it. He doesn't crush it. Even though in this instance, I think the right way The right way to describe these things here would be that these Jewish believers have weak consciences. Paul has the stronger, more biblically oriented conscience, but he treats their conscience as part of his gospel witness. One commentator says this, a truly emancipated spirit like Paul's is not in bondage to its own emancipation. See that? A truly free spirit like Paul, I'm free in Christ, is not in bondage to his freedom. He doesn't have to insist on his freedom wherever he goes. He's willing to limit his freedom. I think you see this all the time, particularly younger people growing up, perhaps in strict Christian environments, who eventually discover that their upbringing has been stricter than the gospel and stricter than the Bible, and they they grow into freedom in Christ. What What they don't know how to do is how to use that freedom. They use that freedom to trample all all over other people. I'm free to drink, free to do whatever I want, free to go here. Paul says, when was the last time you curbed your freedom so that other people might grow, flourish? Here's what we need to ask ourselves today. Am I unflinching when it comes to speaking about Jesus? Unflinching. But am I flexible when it comes to living for Jesus? Isn't that this chapter? Am I unflinching with my words? You cannot deter me from speaking about Jesus. But when it comes to living for him, I will do whatever it takes to make the gospel attractive to you. This weekend, Angela and I listened to a wonderful talk by Rico Tice. He's the evangelist at All Souls Church, Langham Place in London. He's written the Christianity Explored course uh, that some in our church family have been doing these past few weeks. Uh, Rico says there are four reasons why we flinch from telling the world the good news about Jesus. Four reasons. Number one, we think it makes us weird. We think it makes us irrelevant. 
We think people will look at us and think you believe something that's not true. And number four, we think the world will think we're homophobic. We think the world thinks we're weird, irrelevant. We believe fairy tales in the Bible and we're homophobic. And because we think the world looks at us like that, we flinch. We keep our heads down, our mouths shut. But Rico said this. A couple of years ago, there was a huge survey in the United Kingdom that asked people about their beliefs and asked people about Christian people that they knew. 67% of people in the United Kingdom have a Christian friend that they like. 67% of people have a Christian friend that they like. I am quite sure you here today, friends, are some of those friends that people like. I'm sure you're one of those friends belonging to that 67%. Here's the next thing. 20% of those 67% said that they would like to know more about the Christian faith. That was worked out to be 7.5 million people in the UK who said, yeah, if someone asked me, I'd be interested. But no one's asked me. Did you know that of those 67% who said they had a Christian friend that they liked, only 6% of them thought their Christian friend was homophobic? Here's Rico's point. Friendship is everything. Friendship with others is everything. When Billy Graham preached to thousands in his crusades in the 1950s and 1960s, when he preached to thousands night after night, And thousands were converted. 95% of those people who were converted were already churchgoers. They went to church, but not today. Not today. It is all about your friendships. Your friendships with the people you're with all day long. And in those friendships, some people are just waiting, longing for you and me to cross the line of pain and to say to them, would you like to know more about Jesus? Would, would you consider reading the Bible with me one-to-one? But we flinch. We pull back. Paul here is unflinching about speaking about Jesus. I will go to Jerusalem and speak about him and preach the gospel. You cannot deter me from doing that. But when he got there, he was flexible when it came to living for Jesus. I will do whatever it takes to gain a hearing for the gospel. I think for you and me today, this will look like doing things we don't want to do. Going places we don't want to go. Joining clubs or societies we wouldn't naturally join. Going on work night outs when we wouldn't want to. Making phone calls or visits we don't want to make. Or wearing a mask that we don't think we should have to wear. But doing it because that kind of living for Jesus forces us to flex to make the gospel attractive to others. To gain a hearing for it. You know, friends, today I want to encourage us not to get this the wrong way around. Sometimes we we get it the wrong way around, don't we? We flinch on the gospel and we refuse to flex on the living. We do that all the time, don't we? It's so easy to do it. We don't want to look silly or homophobic or out of touch. So we flinch. We shave edges off the gospel. 
We're slow to speak about Jesus, to say that this is God's world. He made it. We broke it. But Jesus fixes it. Sometimes you make the other mistake. This is just how I do things. This is me. This is what you see is what you get. I won't flex for you. I won't come down to you to where you are. I won't change my lifestyle for you if it will help you. Brothers and sisters, here's my prayer. Paul's example. As we set sail with him to Rome these next few Sundays, here's my prayer. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So may it be. Amen.